Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to see everyone here again today. And we're uh, still in uh, uh, going through as a society part of this quarantine from the COVID virus. And we'll, uh, we'll see what things look like next week. We'll continue to uh, assess things as we go along and just see where, uh, what, what we can do and what we, how we can open things up here the next, uh, the next few weeks. Uh, there's every week that we've met physically, there's been uh, more people that have been here to participate. And we've had somewhere on the order of half at home and, and half here. And uh, some, because of their, uh, their job situation or their, their health, are saying, I'm, I'm not ready to, to meet in a, in a group yet, but we'll get there at some point. And so little by little, day by day, we'll, uh, uh, we'll work through this. And the, the great thing that I continue to remember is, is that God is there in the future. And so whatever things look like in the future, He's already there and uh, excited to, to see what, what he has in store for us there. Uh, there is uh, something I'd just like to announce as well as Tim and Shalise Hoff uh, were married yesterday. They are like all couples right now that are in the process of, of, um, of going through their, their marriage ceremonies. They had to change everything and they had plans to, to invite uh, the church and to have a, a great event here locally. And it just was not going to work. And so just a few people met up at Yellowstone Bible Camp on the bridge. And uh, there's no running water up there yet. Only outhouse could be used. And we just uh, had a, a small ceremony for them. And it was really neat, the, the few that, that are part of the church here that, that could participate, just showered um, blessings and, and love on them and excited for them as they uh, join us in the next weeks. Uh, to, they said they're excited about jumping in and serving in whatever way they can here in the church. And so that's something if you can you can drop a note or, or just good thoughts on Facebook, whatever it is, I'm sure they would appreciate it. And then and, uh, Shalise's mom, Gail, is with us today. Welcome, Gail. Glad to have you here. And uh, just excited for, for two Christian people. And in the process of the pre-marriage counseling I did with them, one of the things that came up over and over and over again is we want our marriage to be something that honors God, and we want to walk through life together, helping each other, encouraging each other into eternity, into heaven. And that's a, a great example uh, for all of us, and uh, that's a, a great place to, to be spiritually and where their hearts are at. Okay, we're going to go and continue on in Nehemiah uh, this week, and uh, I'm going to walk back through what's happened uh, a few weeks ago. As, as Nehemiah, uh, part of the reason he chose Nehemiah is, is he's... The book of Nehemiah deals with big changes and how do you walk through big changes and what happens during those times. And, and Nehemiah is just a great example of a godly person that walks through big changes in life and, and does so honorably. And so I learn a lot from Nehemiah every time I, I walk through it. And uh, Nehemiah is one of those books that is often used by ministers and in churches when there's big changes happen. You walk through Nehemiah and you learn some stuff that that we, we just we forget or we, we don't know otherwise. And so Nehemiah, if you remember, he is living in a time where the, the people of Israel have been conquered and they have been dispersed all over. And some of these Jews end up being people that work in, um, in areas where, where they have a lot of credibility because of, of who they are. And, and Nehemiah ends up being the cupbearer, the one who hands the drinks and the food to the king of Persia. And Nehemiah is, uh, as, as people have started to go back and repopulate Jerusalem, he's excited about that. He's, you can see in his heart, he's 
wants things to go well. And so there's some people make a thousand mile journey from Jerusalem back to where he's at in, in Susa. And he says, how is everybody there? How's everybody going? You can imagine Nehemiah is just excited about, I'm, I'm thrilled about the people being able to go back and repopulate Jerusalem and I can, I'm just waiting for this good news. And what he hears is, the people have gone back and they're in great distress. They're living in abject poverty. The walls are destroyed. The gates have been burned with fire. And it's an absolute disaster. And Nehemiah's response is, is he just breaks. And it says that he prays, that he fasts, that he weeps, that he sits for days. And he cries out to God. And he says, God, you're this great God that has done so much. But we, in fact, my family, in fact, me personally, is responsible for this punishment that you have inflicted on us because all this idolatry that we're involved with, all this that we had to walk, that we walked through, you have been faithful, and we ask you to continue to be faithful, as you have promised to bring us back into our land that you've given us. And please walk us through this. Help us to to, to go to be able to go back into this land and and uh, accept our repentance. And that he goes in front of the king. And this Nehemiah is one that is interacting with this Persian king on a regular basis. You know, he Oftentimes these cupbearers would become confidants. And this Persian king is sitting there watching Nehemiah, and he sees Nehemiah's presence is sad. And Nehemiah says, I've never been sad in the presence of the king before. And this king watches him and says, Nehemiah, what's going on here? This can only be sadness of heart. And Nehemiah says, probably the shortest prayer that we find in Scripture, and he answers the king and says, King, how can I be happy when the nation, the, the city of my ancestors lies in ruins, its gates are destroyed, and the walls are, are torn down? How can I be happy when that's the situation? And the king's response is, what do you want to do? And as, after this discussion, Nehemiah is sent back to go to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. He makes this thousand-mile journey, and he gets back there, and he finds it's, it's just a disaster. Things are, are torn apart. They're not going well. So Nehemiah goes out with a few people, looks at how much the wall is destroyed, then meets with the, the leaders of the people there and says, we got a problem. This is not very good. Everything is a disaster. Everything's trashed. Our city's been destroyed. Let's put things back together. And we see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is you have the people coming together. And some could do a little, some could do a lot, but people take whatever part of the wall is in front of their house, they start working on it. And there's this going from herding cats of, of people not being on the same page at all to working together to put this wall back up. And it's just this, this amazing story that you read and you think, oh, that's amazing, that's fantastic, that's awesome, love to hear that. But... Like any story, just like movies, there's always some bad guy that comes in somewhere. And that's what we're going to see, is there are some, some the um, antagonists of this story of Nehemiah come to the surface, and once the wall starts being rebuilt, they start throwing hissy fits. Hey, we've seen these guys already. They've been introduced. One of them, his name is Sanballat, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him. What we know is that he's the governor of Syria or governor of Samaria. And so we his name is is Babylonian. So it's hard to tell what what his background is, but he says or Nehemiah says that he is a Horonite, which means it's an area just outside of Jerusalem. And so 
it's hard to know if he is Jewish and has a Babylonian name like Zerubbabel or many others did during that time, or if he is some, something that what the Samaritans, what becomes the Samaritans. They're, they're a mix of, of different, different people. But what we know about uh, Sanballat is that he names his children names that reflect a worship of the Hebrew God Yahweh. So he's not some guy that's, that's that, uh, this Babylonian idol worshiper that is that is completely rejected Yahweh. He cares enough about Yahweh or esteems him enough or fears him enough, however we want to say it, to say, man, I'm going to name my children after this great God. And then you have Tobiah. It says Tobiah is an Ammonite, but Tobiah is a name that is, that is Jewish all the way through. It's a name that, say, that means Yahweh is good. That's what Tobiah's name means. And he becomes an enemy. We'll meet him here. But he has a long family history on the other side of the Jordan, Tobiah, it's uh, possible from Ezra chapter 2, we have a Tobiah that comes back that probably descends from the priestly lines, but because proof could not be made of his heritage that he is not allowed to, to serve as a priest. That may be the case. We can't be sure. But if that is the case, then you have this Tobiah that's come back and he can't serve as he thinks he should, and, and so he is disgruntled in some ways. Now, Tobiah is one that you see all the way through the book of Nehemiah, and we'll see this again, is he is one that is, is a favorite of the elites of Jerusalem. He is in there mixing it up with, with people that are the movers and shakers uh, that, are, that Nehemiah is working with. And so, again, this is not somebody who's, who's an outsider. He's someone that is very much an insider that decides he's going to stir the pot in this, in this process of, of trying to rebuild the wall. And again, uh, even his children are married into the families of, of the uh, Jerusalem elite. And uh, we'll see that as we go along as well. But what happens today is we're going to look at, in G- Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6, is Nehemiah has to overcome several walls in order to rebuild the wall. Because once he gets everybody going a good direction, inevitably what happens is... Satan is there working in the background somewhere. There's resistance that comes up to the surface. Here's, some, here's uh, the first uh, resistance that we see. In chapter 4, 1 through 6, and I'll read this one. I won't read all of these, but I'll read this one. It says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down this wall of stones. And you can imagine these guys just sitting there laughing and saying, These guys are ridiculous. Who do they think they are? They're going to build this wall? That's ridiculous. They're never going to accomplish that. You know, these worthless Jews in Jerusalem, who, who do they think they are? And look at Nehemiah's response here. In verse 4 it says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. 
And so here's the first thing that happens is there's opposition, this, this ridicule. They can't bring these bones back to life. These people, whatever. Let's just ridicule them. And the response here is the people worked with all their heart, rebuild the wall to half its height. But you, did you hear the prayer of Nehemiah? The first thing he does when opposition comes because of ridicule is that he prays. Says, God, hear us. Help us to remain courageous and help us not to give up and help us just to go for it and continue to rebuild this wall. It continues on in the next verses. Chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm not going to, to read this section, but what happens is they realize... Tobiah and Sanballat, that they've got a problem. That this wall has reached half its height, and then, wait a minute, they might, they might actually succeed in this. We don't want this to happen. We, 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 we love Jerusalem in ruins. We love Jerusalem with its walls torn down. So we're going to intimidate them. And, and one of the phrases that comes up is here, it says, we will kill them and put an end to the work. And so what happens is Tobiah and Sanballat, because they are familiar with these Jerusalem leaders. They're familiar with the people. They start sowing seeds of dissension, saying, we're going to come in there with our armed forces, and we're going to destroy this, and we're going to make sure that that wall is not rebuilt. And so Nehemiah's response is he gathers the people and says, all right, here's what's happening. We understand that, that there's threats that we're going to be attacked. So you're going to work with a sword in one hand, and you're going to, even when you go get water, make sure that you're armed. Half the people are going to be armed and ready for battle at any point in time. And Nehemiah says, I'm going to carry the horn with me. And if, because the wall is spread out, if you hear the horn, everybody leave where they're at and come and defend the wall. It's halfway up, wherever that may be. Okay, we're going to work together. And look at a couple of verses from here. Chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 14 Listen to what Nehemiah says. He says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah leads by saying, Remember this God that we have is great, and fight for your families. If there's people start coming over the wall, be ready to fight. Verse 20 says, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah continues to go back and to remind the people that God has brought us this far and he is going to deliver us. But our job is to defend ourselves in this situation. And the response is Nehemiah encouraged and prepared the, the people to respond. Now, Nehemiah could have in this situation as a leader, or as a, as a person, as a red-blooded human being, said, Oh no, this is more than I bargained for. I just wanted to come back and build this wall. And I thought that would be, you know, why is everybody upset about this? This just seems like a good deal. Why, why, why am I getting resistance? And he could have got on his horse and he could have headed back. He could have done any number of things here. But you see, when you read through this, Nehemiah's calm presence saying, Our God is with us. Let's be courageous. We've got nothing to worry about. It's going to be all right. And he leads the people through that. If we continue on to chapter 6, go ahead and skip over there. And I'll start reading in the, the first verses of chapter 6 there. It says, When the word came, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that, had re, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of the Ono. Okay, so Geshem is one that enters here. It says he's the Arab or from the area south of, of Jerusalem. 
other people that don't want Jerusalem to be finished. They don't want a wall up there. And so they approach Nehemiah, they send messages and says, hey, uh, let's meet together, let's talk this out, let's figure out a plan here. It says, but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. So Nehemiah sends his own messengers back, doesn't trust theirs. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. So here you have Nehemiah's opposition trying to create some kind of distraction. Okay, intimidation didn't work. Uh, Ridicule didn't work. So what we're going to do is we're just going to say, hey, Nehemiah, let's meet about this. Let's talk about this. Let's work this out. Nehemiah understands that they have plans to harm him. But Nehemiah is not going to be distracted by this continual, hey, let's talk this out, let's work this out, why don't you come down, let's figure all of this out, because he knows what the motives are, and you see his response, I'm carrying out a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nope, I'm not going to stop doing really good stuff right here to come and have this discussion with you. I'm not going to do this. I have a letter in my hand from the Persian king saying that we're supposed to rebuild this wall. I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to walk through all this with you guys. Think about it. Whenever there's, um, I think about this verse that comes up for me personally. Whenever there is, uh, sometimes it used to be on email, sometimes a lot of times it happens on Facebook now, is one of these discussions that I can tell is going to be a black hole. And I look at it and think, wow, should I respond to that? Should I say something? But if I do so, I have to leave the other good stuff that I'm doing to walk into this black hole and try to spend time responding. I don't know, just one of the ways that I think about it that, that uh, this, this applies. And so Nehemiah says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go down. I'm, I'm not going to leave this work. I've got a work to do, and I'm not going to be distracted by it. The, it continues on in, uh, in chapter uh, 6, uh, verse, verse 5. I'll go ahead and read there. Then the fifth time, so four times that happens. It says, then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. Okay, here it is. Unsealed, unsigned letter. There it is. People have concerns. There's problems. Okay, that's what he's doing here. That's what he's saying here. And unsigned letters can be looked at by anybody, right? Because it's not signed. It's, it's not sealed. So there's this letter that they want to send out to start floating around. Here it is. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting a revolt, and therefore you are building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. In other words, people are saying all this terrible stuff about what's really going on here. Ooh, we've got to deal with this. Deception and doubt. It's reported among the nations. There's reports that you're going to become their king. You are doing the opposite of what you're sent to do. And you see what they're doing here? These unnamed people that are stirring the pot in the background. And Nehemiah's response, as, he, as, he, as we'll continue reading here, he says, I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening, and you are just making it up out of your head. They, are all trying, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And so Nehemiah is not about to say, oh, all right, okay, there's this unsigned letter. This is terrifying to me. I better change up everything. This is, this is a bad deal. But he just responds by saying, 
You're just making this up out of your head. And he prays to God, strengthen my hands. Help me not get discouraged by all of this that is coming my direction, but help me to just be courageous and continue on. He continues on uh, with more. You know, these guys don't give up easy. These guys would make great villains in any Hollywood movie. They do not give up. And here it is in chapter 6, verse 10. It says, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. So Nehemiah goes and visits this guy that is saying, Hey, man, I'm concerned. I'm scared because people are going to come kill you. They're, they're going to come. Let's go into the temple. Let's hide. Two things are going on here. Hey, this guy, there's, you look at his name and the names of the descendant or the, his ancestors, very possible this guy is a priest. Okay? And so he can go into the temple, right? That's what priests are supposed to be able to do. They're supposed to be able to go into the temple and to offer incense there. But Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not from that line at all. And so he's not allowed by God to go into the temple. And so this guy's using a, a fear tactic and saying, hey, wait a minute, there's people coming to kill you. You need to go into the temple. And it's talking about closing the doors, so it's probably in the temple area specifically. Because sometimes people would run and grab a hold of the horns of the altar in order to try to seek mercy. But it looks like what is happening here is Shemaiah is saying, hey, just come into the temple, we'll hide, we'll close the doors, we'll go into this place of God and he'll protect you. And look at what Nehemiah's response is. He says in verse 11, But should a man like me run away? What's that going to look like if I run away right now? The people are all out here. They're working. I've come. I've started them on this process. And what does it look like if I run away right now? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Maybe what's going on in Nehemiah's head is, Okay, I would rather face people who are going to try to kill me than go do something that would dishonor God by me not being a priest and going into the temple. I'm not about to do that. I will, if, if they, they get a hold of me and they take my life, then I, they will do so. I, I will let them do so with a clear conscience. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So we don't even have that story of Nodiah. We don't even know who she is. But apparently there's others that are saying, Boy, Nehemiah, God has told me you've got to stop this. This is, this is creating issue. You've got to stop this. God's, God's telling us this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Ehul in the 52 days. And we're going to get to that next week. But you see what Nehemiah does here is in, when false friends and fear and opposition continues to come, his response is, should a man like me run away? Should I run into the temple just because I'm afraid? No way I'm going to do that. And again he prays, says, God, remember them. You deal with this. Because you're a God that allows justice to, to reign. And so when you look back at all these, these, uh, these obstacles that, that Nehemiah had to go up against when he's rebuilding the wall, and this is in a short period of time. The wall is completed in 52 days, 
There's a lot that happens, and it's coming at Nehemiah constantly. There's ridicule, there's intimidation, there's distraction, people trying to get him distracted, there's deception, there's doubt, there's false friends, there's fear. All of those things are used by this crew in order to try to get Nehemiah to run away, to die, or to say, I quit, I'm done, we're going to stop this, and we're not going to finish this wall, because the cost is too great. There is a, there's always great lessons <laughs> to learn and Nehemiah, what we're going to see, is that he just continues on. He continues on. He is courageous, and he prays, and he does not give up. Think about this. Uh, there's a, uh, this is a picture of, of someone who's a, who's a rock climber here, who is climbing up walls. In my younger days, I did some of this. Uh, just climb up uh, rock walls in order to uh, uh, try to get to the top, try to over that wall. And I remember uh, getting on those rocks and, and being roped up and, and trying to, to climb up to the top, and there's always obstacles. Obstacles sometimes are, there aren't many handholds or, or footholds, or sometimes the, the wall overhangs or something like that. There's always obstacles. But if I quit and I said, okay, I'm done with this, I'm going to peel off this wall, none of this I got to the bottom and I thought, man, I think I should have been able to do that. But it was the times that I didn't quit and I just said, all right, I'm going to push through this, even if I peel off the wall a few times, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep after it. And there's going to be some great things that, that I learn and I grow from it as I continue to, to try to, to conquer this wall. And I got to the top and I got over the other side. There's this great sense of accomplishment and I believe that's true in, in all areas of life, is that if we only do the things that are easy, if we only do the things that are comfortable, if we just lay low and keep our head low, oftentimes we miss out on, on participating in some of the greatest things that God has in store for us. And I know that um, that's, that's a, the tendency or the tension that maybe all of us feel, is that I would like to be someone that, that just keeps my head down, that I, uh, I just... Uh, Try to stay out of, of, of getting shot at it any, any, any way. Because what we know, if we've been around and been Christians for any length of time at all, is that walls do come, don't they? And sometimes they come from people outside of, of, of our people. There's, uh, there's all sorts of, uh, when we make decisions to follow Christ, there's people that say, why on earth would you do that? You have to give up your Sunday mornings, you know, you know what all the awesome things you could do without giving that up, that, that time for God and to come and assemble and to encourage. Why on earth would you do something like that? And uh, for, we know that we're not giving anything up at all. You know, we're just excited to be able to, to participate with God's people. But here you have, uh, that's one example of walls coming. And every one of us that has been a Christian for any length of time has had someone that has been a spiritual mentor in our life really disappoint us or hurt us. I have. I can, I can go through a list of, of people that, have, uh, that I've, I've looked to as, as great examples for me at different times. And their lives, for whatever reason, took turns and they became, uh, their example became the opposite of what I want to be. All of us have those situations that happen to us eventually. Um, the, wall, the walls will come. There's times where we... Uh, there's, a, there's a friend of mine in Great Falls. He had a phrase that he would say, is no good deed goes unpunished. 
And his, his, his thought process was, sometimes when I just try to do good, there's always something that someone that's upset about that, or that's just how it works. But walls will come. And so for all of us, we have a choice. Decide that I will not be a wall that stands in the way of God working and good things happening. I choose right now. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be the person that, that complains, that stands in the way, that makes things difficult for others. Uh, there is, uh, when you think about reasons why we would be a wall, uh, you look at, I don't think the Pharisees said, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to stand in the way of God and we're going to be the, um, the enemy of everything that is good. No, they thought they were serving God, but because they were not reflective enough to see their own hearts, they missed out on, on the greatest thing that ever happened right among them. They missed out on Jesus. And so I think apathy sometimes, just, oh, well, you know, just go through life, or, or wanting to maintain the status quo. Things are the way they should be, and if anybody changes them or messes with them, then I'm, oh, that doesn't sit with me. James 3, we've been going through James on Wednesday nights. James 3 talks about bitter envy, being so upset that somebody else has a giftedness that I don't, and I'm, or, or something along those lines, or being having selfish ambition. I want to be who I want to be, and I want to be in the center of stuff. And we can become a wall for others if things just don't work out like we, uh, we want them to do. But what, one of the things that, that always I think about um, in my own self-reflection is that when you go back from the beginning of time all the way through in Scripture, is that whenever any of us, no matter who we are, when we stand as a wall in the way of God doing something good, then God removes us quickly. You see example after example after example of that. And so that should be something that causes all of us to to ponder that walls will come, but I don't want to be one of them. I choose to be part of the solution and not part of the problem ever when God is, is working and doing things. And so what do we do when we do come face-to-face with overcoming walls or, or obstacles that come in our path? Here's what Nehemiah teaches us. Nehemiah teaches us, when resistance comes, pray. Go to God and give it to him. And remember, Nehemiah was one that was very self-reflective. When we, Chapter 1, when he hears that things are bad back in Jerusalem, he says, God, man, I've got sin in my life. I repent. Pray for forgiveness. That's the heart of someone that is reflective enough, that is, that is willing to really look at, at what his motives are. Overcoming walls means starting going with prayer and then giving spirit-filled response. Uh, you notice that Nehemiah, and we'll see it more as we go along with Nehemiah, is he demonstrates anger at these people that are, that are trying to prevent the wall from being built. He, he gets upset, but his anger is not directed at his feelings being hurt. He's angry that they are standing in the way of God being able to, trying to accomplish good stuff. And, and that's a spirit-filled response. And you see Nehemiah demonstrate that. So pray, spirit-filled response, and then Nehemiah continues to do good and just does not get discouraged and continues to go. Now, there is, uh, uh, there's times where, what, what I'm not speaking about here is there's times sometimes we get in our head and heart that, hey, I know what God's plan is, and I'm going to run with this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to pursue this. And what happens is we just run into wall after wall after wall after wall after wall. You see this in the book of Acts, is Paul wants to go into Asia, but it says the Spirit prevented us from going. Apparently he tried quite a bit. God opened that door later, just wasn't the right time. 
for, for him to go there and serve at that point in time. I know there's been a few times where I've got in my head and heart that I have a plan for what God's going to do in my life. One of them, and I, this is one that I, I pondered this last week. I know that when, when 9-11 happened, how many of you remember that? Okay, yeah. There's, uh, some of us weren't around yet, but I remember, I remember where I was when it happened, and I was a young guy. And I had, one of the things I had considered doing is going into the, the Air Force as an officer and, and had pursued that path for, for, for a little bit anyway. But I remember uh, what, meeting uh, a, a man that was an Air Force chaplain when I was uh, taking one of my classes down at Harding. And I talked with him, um, and, and he really encouraged me. He said, Chris, man, you would do great in this context. You know, you, the, the serving overseas or wherever they would send you, you, know, you could make a huge impact in, in people's lives. And I remember going back and through some strange turn of events, I ended up talking with one of the chaplains on base in, uh, in Great Falls. And I talked with him and he said, hey, here's the deal. We would love for you to get this commission to serve as a chaplain in the Air Force. We'd love for you to do that. And we're short-staffed, so every once a, once a week, you could come out here, we'd activate you, and you could... Uh, whatever counseling or anybody comes in asking questions about Scripture, you can be the person that uh, that will talk to them. And you're welcome to invite people to go participate with the, the Great Falls Church of Christ. We'd love for people to be involved in any church rather than drink their, their two or three years away here in Great Falls. And so I started walking down that path a little bit. started thinking, hey, maybe this is God's plan. And you know what happened? Every angle... Every angle, there was a wall that came up, and it was, became very evident and very clear as I prayed through that for over a period of about six months that God was saying, No, Chris, I have other plans for you. You're not doing that. No. And I had to readjust my heart. I had to readjust my thinking. And I had to say, All right, God, maybe my plan is different than yours. I'm going to step into whatever your plan is for me. And I'm going to pursue that, and I'm going to be excited about it. Okay, sometimes we can try to, to hit our head against the wall when God is saying no and he's screaming at us with that megaphone. But what Nehemiah teaches us here is that always, not sometimes, but when we're doing God's will, when we want to do right, when we're stepping out, out of the status quo to try to rebuild a wall, try to do something, there's going to be somewhere, somehow, resistance that comes to the surface that says, no, you can't do that. There's going to be all sorts of reasons that sound good, that sound legit. But what it is, very simply, is a wall coming up because somewhere, somehow, the darkness just does not want good things to happen. And that's something that for us to consider and think about is, is don't be that wall, but just continue to do good no matter what. And we have to adjust what that good is or what those ministries are as we go along. Let's read one more scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 58. And Paul writes this at the tail end of a section where people, he's trying to remind people and convince them, hey, wait a minute here. You, there's people in the Corinth church that don't believe in the resurrection. Why on earth would you follow Jesus and be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection? You know, this is crazy. That's bizarre. There's no good reason for that whatsoever. And he says right at the end of that, in verse chapter 15, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know 
that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I think all of us have, um, and I've had too many conversations with people at times that have said, man, Chris, I was part of a church at some point in time, and then I tried to step out, I tried to do something good, and I got blasted. And I'm not sure if I can ever set foot in a church building again. Now, there's some people that just give excuses. You know, I mean, there's, there's always that. But there's times, way too many times, I sat across the table and just seen tears come down and this hurt and this fear is, is it safe? Is it safe to come back to church? Is it safe to come back to the community because I've been hurt before? And here's something to remember if your heart has ever been in a place like that or whenever you're sitting face-to-face with somebody, it does not change what Jesus did for you. Nehemiah came up against all sorts of obstacles that he could have easily cut and run and said, man, I'm not being treated fairly. This, isn't, this is not okay. I'm running. But Nehemiah put his head down, courageously said, God, give me strength. Help me to do good. Help me never to give up. And here we go. And that's a great example for all of us. Is, uh, Nehemiah is a, is a great example of, of courageous righteousness, doing good in spite of the circumstances that come up from time to time. I pray that all of us can be people that uh, look a little more like Nehemiah today than we did yesterday. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers to the church, you're welcome to uh, head to the back. We're going to go straight into the Lord's Supper right now, and then uh, we'll finish up. Landon is going to lead songs, and we'll, we'll sing us back uh, out into... Uh, Uh, wherever we may go on the Lord's Day today.